Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffy the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffy the Greek at Jeffy the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Uh, Thank you for following on Twitter, for most of you. Some of you are... Wearing on my my uh, <laughs> uh, wearing thin on my nerves is what I was trying to say, but I, don't know. Uh, I feel I feel great today. Yeah, yeah, you enjoy it. I just love I, coming down to the the DAC. Yeah, and after not losing, it just feels so good. You know, I obviously part not part ninety nine point five percent of my frustration is the outcome of the Iowa football contest yesterday, which we'll obviously get into, um, but. What I'm getting at is the idle weeks, and what I was really hoping was that Iowa could get into the idle week without losing a game because it was another extended sure. week of this fun, um, you know, amazing football season that Iowa fans had been uh, participating in until about 2:30 yesterday. Uh, but that's been robbed of me now, um, and I guess I'm just overall shocked at people's reaction, like, "Oh, idle week!" Like. I love my week off. I don't know. I'm just weird like that, I guess. Well, Illini Nation's been a little bit spicy. It was nice to see. And if they are very, very spicy, they're still probably in fifth place in the Big Ten as far as because Penn State fans, still spicy. Iowa fans, spicy. Nebraska fans, But I mean spicy, just like excited. Yeah. Everyone felt great yesterday. So spicy good. Yeah, because we got to enjoy college football. All Saturday without without our team losing. Yeah. So speaking of Saturday, again, quite the Saturday. Um, you know, we had five teams that were idle. Illinois, as we've just discussed, Maryland, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Uh, a couple more offenses around the Big Ten were basically idle, wow. even though they were out on the uh, football field. Were they ever? Uh, one fan base that wasn't idle was the uh, Tennessee Volunteer fan base late last night. Well, the the fans in Neyland Stadium, I think specifically, yeah, more than anything, yeah. I, you know that. Should that's... we set it up just in case for the people? Sure. That maybe... Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Tennessee Ole Miss. Um, I'll spare you. I mean, basically, pretty high scoring game, but not eighty two points. I'd like to point that out. Oh, was. That was, was that, the over-under. That was the total? 82. And it started at like 83 and a half, 84, I believe. Wow. Okay, yeah, so, so keep it in mind that Baby Kiff used to coach at Tennessee and yep. left under auspicious terms, you yep. know, and so he's not exactly well-liked there. And they were getting showered with debris from the fans. Not the whole game. So, again, people that didn't see that, um, it was a pretty close game. Uh, Ole Miss mostly in control of that game, but Tennessee came back a little bit. And then right at the end of the game, we got like 50-some seconds left in the game uh, or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But Tennessee goes for it on fourth down, gets gets short. I, I believe the spot was good. Um, originally, I didn't think the spot was good. But when they replayed it, I'm like, no, okay. I think his elbow went knee down, yada, yada. So they upheld the call in the field, which was short of the line. Ole Miss took the uh, ball back over. And then hilarity ensued, which was... Uh, water bottles aplenty getting tossed. Um, a mustard, a, a, a thing of mustard. Yeah, mustard for some reason. Uh, a it container was, of mustard. It was, it was French's yellow French, mustard. Just standard mustard. Yeah, standard. And then, so, which is underrated, by the way. <laughs> you know, I like a good deli mustard, but sometimes just sometimes, straight yeah. yellow mustard's all you need. So both teams pulled their team off of the sidelines and, and just into the field into the middle of the field to to get out of harm's way from the projectiles that were coming down and they had to suspend play it was a good 20 minutes long when hmm. play stopped um and kiffin got belted with a, a golf ball so dude that was hilarious they caught it on film it's great where he's standing there talking to the rest so stuff's already raining down and then something comes out of the corner of the screen whacks him in the elbow and what was hilarious is Kip just kept walking around with the golf ball, showing everybody the guy's like, hey, man, hey, hey. This, and, like, and then his Twitter post was great. He posts George Costanza pulling the golf ball out of his pocket. So you did see. Of course. Um, and again, for people that don't understand that, that's when the the the, the sea was, was angry, angry that, that day, day my, my friends. friends, and uh, pulls the um, golf ball out of the blowhole of the whale. Is that a titleist? <laughs> the well, hole in one. The Kramer hit in. And he put that GIF out there 
That was fantastic, man. That was great. He is he is a master Twitterer. So I've been to two SEC games in my lifetime. Okay, the one was the the Bama Ole Miss game at Ole Miss. Everyone very well behaved from both sides. Could you seriously not 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 a bad thing to say about either of those fan bases that day. But I also saw Illinois play LSU in the Sugar Bowl, 2002, January 1, 2002, okay? And Nick Saban was the coach of LSU that day. He had to get on the microphone because they were doing the same kind of shenanigans. The LSU fans were during the game, and they were they were disrupting the game. And the refs were about to give them a delay of game, and they they actually gave Saban the opportunity to get on the PA system and tell his fans to behave. And the first time I believe I saw that happen was Sam Weish, the coach of the Bengals. The Bungles, yeah. When he he did that, he got did on, he? on the mic. Yeah, I guess I vaguely remember and that. And like scolded them. them. Like yeah. they were a five-year-old oh, kid. Oh, that's what Saban did too. I mean, you can imagine this I Saban. thought that was going to happen last night. Right. Did not, but um, quite the scene. Now, I, I am by no means... A uh, Tennessee uh, Vol fan apologist, but and, and I'm going to talk out of two sides of my mouth here because, like, you know, they probably should be reprimanded in some way so that Tennessee fans can get the message that you can't do this. I also don't think this is the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't think we need to make this out to the biggest deal in the world. But I don't know, man. Like, I just swear I have seen a lot of fights and stands that maybe you just catch more because everybody's got a recording device uh, in their hands and, and it's Twitter. But I don't know. There just seems to be a general, like, D-bags on Twitter, or I suppose Instagram, I that's not something I take part of. Um, but that D-bag type of behavior, I think at least to some degree, is spilling over into the real world that we're seeing it in person where a lack of decorum is happening. I'll say this much. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of Vols fans. I mean, how many, how many of these types of things do we need to see from Vols fans? This is in their DNA. Yeah. Not every single one, of course, but But a higher percentage than should be. They have more bad apples than, than the average fan base. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I wouldn't paint, Every single person that was in the stadium no, or every Vols fan not. with the same broad stroke. Um, but a golf ball? I, I mean, I just... Why do you even bring a golf I, ball to the game? I, I was That was the general question that was happening last well, how night. Do you, why do you bring this mustard is, to the game? Is it like the mustard, to, I, the, I've got two explanations for both. The golf ball, you go... I mean, it was a night game, right? Nice weather down there. You go golfing in the morning. Like, hey, man, you want to hit 18, get to the tailgate spot at noon? A lot of times you have a spare golf ball in your pocket. Okay. You just forget that it's in there. You got a golf ball. That's that's the only thing I could come up that with. That makes sense. The mustard, the only thing I could come up with the mustard is that they actually have those at the hot dog stands around the okay. stadium. I have, I have a different I, okay. theory here. Whoever brought that mustard, they, they probably don't like the mustard in the stadium. <laughs> they must have like a knockoff brand of French's. They're like, I'm not having any of that French's bull crap on my hot dog. I'm bringing my own French's in. But that was a full, con- I mean, it wasn't like a little half one that you could buy, like a travel mustard. If there Maybe was he such. wanted to eat a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> I don't know what that was. The mustard is way harder to explain. You know, I know this is a Big Ten football specific podcast, but speak, uh, staying in the SEC, LSU is now looking for a new coach. Two years removed from winning a national title and everybody <laughs> fawning all over Ed Orgeron like he was the next great thing. He is out as the coach of well, LSU. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Ed O thing, him winning the national championship, it was amazing what they did, let's be honest. But it was it was lightning in a bottle and it almost felt like he did it in spite of himself. Like, how did he put that staff together? I have no idea. You look like even at the time, I'm like, I can't believe Ed O put this staff together. But I was, you know, you have to be crowded. That was amazing. But then after that staff is gone, and I mean, it is weird to fire a guy two years after a national championship. Not the SEC, it ain't. That's just how it goes. But like, but how, I guess how much confidence do you have in Ed O right now as a head coach? Didn't before, ha- right? I. I should have made a bigger point on Twitter or on this podcast of me thinking the attention and praise that Ed O got during the national title run was ridiculous because like I didn't think that he was 
as awful of a coach as he was made out to be right. when he was at USC, but I really thought the pendulum swung way too far back. Of course. Like, like they were doing stories on him at like ABC about yeah. what an amazing coach he was and not stuff to mention like all that. the off the field stuff. Right. That's <laughs> not so good either. That's why and, we didn't even bring that up. And he sounds like a cartoon character. Well, if you want a good I just can't imagine I can't imagine sending my kid to go play with a guy that sounds like a bumbling cartoon character. Like he should be a secondary character on a sitcom. So if you don't know the history, just Google Ed Orgeron Hummer commercial. It's a good one. Yeah. Just yep. if you don't know it Google it. You'll thank me afterwards. Um, there's probably a lesson here. Um, another one on the SEC, like Gene Chizik and Ed Orgeron. They're the Spider-Man meme yeah. pointing at each other where in both cases, a quarterback that did not start with their program yeah, that's a was good point. gifted into their lap. All of the things come together yeah. and they run to a national championship, pull it off. And they're gone. They're gone two years later. Like, it's incredible. Never thought Gene Chizik was a great coach no. either. But there's no. a lesson in there in that, okay, there are a lot of brilliant minds in the sport of college football. Don't get me wrong. But these guys, they ain't rocket scientists no, either. No. And sometimes it just takes, not sometimes, a lot of times, it just takes a lot. It takes some luck. And things just wind up going together. Yeah. But the lesson is back on the other side, too, where you remove a coordinator here, a quarterback there, a middle linebacker over there. Next thing you know, the whole thing Disaster. falls yeah. apart. And I think we're probably a good theme because I'm going to be talking about that okay. a little bit more throughout this podcast okay. with people maybe needing to chill the bleep out a little bit with how these college football sure. contacts, contests happen is that fair enough yes sir all right so we've got five games to talk about all of these games start uh were played on saturday october 16th first game up michigan state 20 indiana 15 the spartans with 241 yards of offense to the hoosiers 322 so okay the first thing i want to say is i expected at some point Somebody was going to make this offense stumble, right? And what was going to happen? What was well? That's twice now somebody's made this offense stumble because who was the Nebraska other? made it stumble too? Yeah, okay, I guess that's that's, that's very fair. Yeah, that's fair. They, they did. I don't know if they got five yards in the second half. Good of, point. of that game. So like, I I, I can't. I, I saw a lot of people disparaging the Spartan offense on Twitter last week. I to the point where I find found myself standing up for the Michigan State offense. And I still do to a degree, but it's maybe not as overpowering of an offense as we thought the first month or month or so. Well, I like I said, I, I think we kind of expected them to not necessarily become average again, but they were going to regress toward the mean. We talked about that. Yeah. I but But this is, I mean, we just saw them have an absolutely – unbelievable day like a big 10 record setting day last weekend now i'm not also going to disparage indiana's defense we i we just said on the last last podcast well, i think we both said it that we still thought indiana had a pretty darn good defense micah mcfadden oh, and some look, he's still I, run around making plays i give more credit to the indiana defense here than i do michigan state's Me offense too. not playing well. i mean i thought they did a tremendous job taking away the deep pass, tremendous job taking away the big play overall. They weren't running the ball well. They weren't throwing the ball well. They couldn't even barely hit check down passes. They weren't giving up anything to this offense. No, um, to the tune of uh, uh, Kenneth Walker, 23 carries, 87 yards. That's only a 3.7-yard average. Peyton Thorne, I mean, I waxed poetic about Peyton Thorne. I still think he's having a really good year, but 14 of 26, 126 yard, one touchdown, two picks. You could tell that was one of the first times where Peyton Thorne got frustrated and was trying to force the issue yep. a little bit, and that's where the mistakes happen. Um, penalties, 12 penalties it's amazing. for 134 yards by Michigan State. The quote I was going to start out with was lies, damn lies, and statistics. 
that kind of applies here because you look at this page of stats for both teams, uh, uh, two turnovers for Michigan State, th- don't win the time of possession. Well, really? Uh, the, they were, what, 80 yards less than Indiana, but still won the game. And you can't say that, that a game was decided on a first quarter play, but really the difference was that pick six. Pick six. Huge. Yeah. By Cal Halliday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the difference in the score right there. That would have been an IU win. I'm Again, you have all game to make up for that, but the, the IU defense gave up that single touchdown, which was a great call by on Michigan State to yes. the, using the tight end there. Great play action. Loved it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was the game right there. And and I by the way, I use offensive game plan. I get it. Like they just came out throwing the ball because that's what you can do on Michigan State, right? Fifty-two attempts in this game. IU can't run the ball to save their lives. Average actually, they did okay. Three point seven yards per carry, one hundred thirty-four yards. But I get their their game plan. It's just that that's still that's not there yet for them. Well, it worked for one Indiana-based team yesterday, but not the Hoosier right. one. Um, yeah, I mean, Jack Tuttle, 28 of 52, 188 yards, zero touchdowns, two picks. Stephen Carr, every now and then it felt like he had a lane, but in the end, 19 carries, 53 yards. Ty Fry Fogel, you know, it's just hasn't been there this uh, there this year, and then they turned the ball over three times, and, and it just seemed like Indiana's turnovers were more of a killer than maybe Michigan State's were. And that's kind of been the theme with Indiana all year, which obviously is in direct contrast to how Indiana made a living last year during that, you know, very fun 2020 year. It just, I've seen a decent amount of frustration from Hoosier fans on Twitter, which at this point you understand. I mean, I think Hoosier fans have well, a I right think, to be frustrated. Yeah, the Hoosier fans, I think are the frustration seems to be mostly pointed at their offensive line yes Which, offensive line and then just old maybe, overall like play calling yeah, cohesiveness scheme. A- another theme that we will have with another team coming up here yeah i mean i i don't think indiana fans thought that they were going to cruise to a big 10 championship this year but i think it they thought it would look a lot better than this um on the other side i did see some frustration out of michigan state fans like they very quickly, and again, understandably, got spoiled with how explosive yeah. and fun their offense looks. And when it hasn't looked like that that way at times, it's gotten frustrated. But in the end, that's now two clunkers, right? I mean, you you have to if when you're having a magical year, you need to win your clunkers. That's two well, yeah, now. I know Michigan State I think that's has a point, won. That, I think that's a point I was trying to make right off the bat. Is they they have gotten they have stumbled. But it doesn't matter. They still won. They still win the game. Yeah. So that's what great teams do. I mean, you just got to enjoy the heck out of this if you're a Michigan State he, fan of this. Oh. And they, by the way, they do get to go into their idle week, so they get to live another week. Right. I, even though they're they're they haven't lost a game, I still think it's a very well timed idle week. I mm-hmm. think there's probably a couple things that they can work on. As strange as that sounds, a couple things they could work on offensively, and of course, it's before the big tilt versus the rival. Well, so. I'm wondering though. How much of that scheme got figured out and how much of that is on tape right now for the other opponents? That's a really good question. Yeah. We will see how that transpires the rest of the year. I'm glad you mentioned Mike McFadden. He's the heart and soul of that IU defense. Another great game. Speaking of great game, Quaveras Couch. Or Crouch, I'm sorry. Quaveras Crouch for Michigan State, the linebacker. He was all over the field. Absolutely. In a game that lacks offense, there's probably going to be some stat lines of defensive players on the other side. We had that here. So with the win... Sparty moves to 7-0, 4-0 in the Big Ten. First Big Ten team to get the seven-win plateau and four-win in conference plateau mm. on both sides. With the loss, the Hoosiers drop to 2-4, 0-3 in Big Ten play. Next game up, Northwestern 21, Rutgers 7. The Wildcats with 402 yards of total offense to the Scarlet Knights, 200 and 22, I put my predictions out usually every Friday. I kind of forgot, did it just Saturday morning. Uh, one of the predictions that I had that got made fun of the most was that I predicted Northwestern to win this game. We did both that, did. Yeah, we both I did. That was, my, yeah. that was my lock of the week. That was your lock of the week. Yeah, yeah we kind of got made fun of for this. I mean, two I, thought, was, I thought that was easy. I thought that was just... And Rutgers was only a two-point favorite going right, into but this game. We, we, it's not like it was a huge upset that we picked. I mean, traveling from 
Jersey to the Midwest. You know, it's like traveling to the land of Oz for those Jersey kids, probably. Yep. They didn't know if they could get a calzone somewhere, you know? Yep. Like, they, they've only seen Illinois from 30,000 feet before. And a three-game losing streak going into this game. They've had beat-up players on both sides of and, the ball. And kind of trending in the wrong direction overall this season. Right. And, I thought and, this was an easy pick. Well, I mean, the last time we saw Northwestern on the field, they were getting their absolute doors blown off But I think that's one of the Nebraska. reasons. That's the one of the reasons. I, I did not see that happening again after a week off for, for Fitzy. I Okay, I mean, I understand. That's a good point. The idle week is what you're talking yeah. about because that definitely plays into a ton of these games that I think we're, we're talking about here. Uh, but in the end, it it's Rutgers has just slowly gotten more and more players onto the struggle bus, especially offensively the last three, four weeks now. Um, on the other side of it, there were certain things that we just felt like maybe Northwestern could lean on that you felt a little bit better about. And that pretty game. much was that pretty much was what happened in this game. Like there was no doubt that and yes, I'm going to say this, there's no doubt that Northwestern had the better offense all day long in Evanston. Well, no doubt. But we we thought that they had a solid run game to lean on. We had also said you know, Halinski actually has looked serviceable at times. Well, he looked good. He looked pretty the, darn good. The pass game looked great. And if they can keep the pass game going like that to complement the run game, they've got something here. 18-33, 267 yards, two touchdowns, no picks for Ryan Halinski. Uh, Andrew Clare, 13 carries, 63 yards. Two-headed and a touchdown. attack yeah. once again in the backfield now. Yep, two-headed attack. And then, I mean, at this point, you just start – pulling names out of a bag for Northwestern receivers. I mean, nobody follows these right. teams harder than we do. If I can kind of pat ourselves on the back a little bit, who are, who is Steven Robinson and who is Malik Washington? I'm not saying these are guys I've never heard before, but five catches, 115 yards for Steven Robinson, five catches, 85 yards and a touchdown for Malik Washington. Suddenly Northwestern's got a little bit of an offense well, here. It's and, and then you flip over the defensive side, and well, guess what? A Gallagher's leading them in tackles. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, all's but, right in the world. But then you you go down Rutgers' offensive stats, and this is what you'd expect to see from Northwestern. Only gave up 13 first downs, 222 total yards, 63 rushing yards. Northwestern didn't turn the ball over. Rutgers turned it over once. That's what we're used to seeing. And I feel like most of the frustration – for Rutgers is based around Noah Vedral. I get it. I don't think his offensive line is doing him many much favors. No. Bo Melton was back, though. Eight catches, 101, 101 yards, two touchdowns. So good for Bo Melton right there. But um, they're just, I mean, the entire team for Rutgers, 34 carries, 63 yards, a 1.9-yard average. This is like IU. I mean, think, think and, and again, along with the theme here, okay, Nebraska is not a offense that 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 can't move the ball at all, but but we're talking like pre-war rushing numbers for Nebraska right. two weeks ago, okay. right? Right. Then Rutgers can't even get a two-yard average versus Northwestern. You want to talk about how much these eighteen to twenty-three-year-olds can change one week to the next? That's an example right there, is it not? Absolutely. I mean, I, in the end. 21 to seven. I, I, it was midway through the second quarter and I looked at myself and I'm like, how did I not bet the under here? How did I not? This was 45 points for the under. I, they, they, they barely even got halfway there. Right. Well, we that, both, that was just, but we both, that was just low hanging fruit. We both picked the under though. I, I understand that, but I should have picked way under. I right. had another under here. We'll talk about in a little bit, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we shouldn't have expected explosive offenses and big no. points on on either side. Especially Essentially, if, that's what we got. But especially but, in the high plains of Evanston, in the high plains of Evanston. But Northwestern was the better team. There, I mean, Northwestern I, was the better. I feel like if they played this game ten times, I think Northwestern would win like eight of them. I think so. And yeah. I don't want to give the Rutgers defense too much credit because they didn't play great. But again, we're used to seeing this. Ola Conley. Fadokasi, 11 tackles, leading the team. Tyshawn Fogg with 10 second. That's what they do. That's just what they do. I, I, this is a defense that could win quite a few games in the Big Ten if it was paired up with an offense that had more of a pulse. I mean, that's 
I just don't think it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for me to see it happen for Rutgers this year. They do get yeah. a little bit easier schedule coming up, but this was the beginning of their easy schedule run, and they lost by yeah. two touchdowns. So, so I uh, just wanted to point out that our buddy Chop traveled yep. from Jersey to this game. He went to he, went, he did he went so to he, so he hit me up and asked me for advice of places to go. And, you know, I haven't lived there in 20 years. Right. But I'm like, well, I can tell you a couple of places I used to hang out at. And and so I gave him, you know, a couple of places. He, he went both the places I told him. No kidding. He went to a pizza joint. He went to this uh, great beer bar that I used to go to. And he was sending me pictures the whole time. So it sounds like he had a great time, even Fantastic. though they didn't win. So hope you enjoyed yourself, Chop. Hope hope you like the recos. Too. I always feel I always feel bad when people ask me for advice for being in Iowa City because I'm not much better for Iowa City. Yeah. I mean, I go into Iowa City to tailgate, go to the game, a little bit more tailgate time, and I go home. I mean, right. I got a family. It's hard for me sure. to just what you else know, you hang do? out in Iowa City. But uh, with the win, Northwestern moves to three and three, suddenly five hundred, one and two in the Big Ten with the loss. Rutgers falls to three and four, zero oh and four in the Big Ten. Illinois and Rutgers are the only two teams who have not logged a win in conference play. Next Illinois game, has, huh? Illinois has logged a win. Did I say Illinois? You did say I, Illinois. Sorry, uh, Rutgers and Indiana are Thank the only you. two teams that have not. Thank you. I got my eye teams screwed so, up. I'm sorry for those that you know they don't. That must they can't be why. see. I, got, I see Illinois out of the corner of my I'm eye. I'm wearing a line eye shirt today in honor of us not losing. <laughs> All right, next game up. <laughs> Purdue 24, Iowa 7. The Boilermakers with 464 yards of total offense to the Hawkeyes 271. So this is crazy stat. Purdue now has uh, eight wins over top two ranked teams. No, it's nine now. No, it's eight now. I know. I thought it was nine. So nine total. I think it's nine total now. I'm almost. I'm positive. Okay, it was, I thought it was eight during the game, and they had twice as many as the next closest team, which was four. And now they have nine. Insane stat. It, unbelievable. I can't. like like nine wins. Let's go with nine. How many teams even have five wins in their entire history over a one or two ranked Probably. team? They're just isn't that many times that you get to play a sure. number one or number two ranked team. And, and if you've done them, it nine times, nine times, not ranked. Okay, right, but that's the thing. So if you beat them, you're probably, you have a good team, so you're probably ranked when you actually do beat them. One would think. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing to be unranked and win nine times. Nine times. Nine times. So here's, the, I'm going to give you another great Purdue stat. Ugh. The Purdue defense right now, is number five nationally in points per game given up. That's right. The Purdue defense. So we talked on this podcast that um, the Purdue offense, okay, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but the, the Purdue offense wasn't as good as we thought it was, but that we thought the Purdue team was better than we thought they yes. were. And we said most of that had to do with the Purdue defense. Yep. We, we, Made fun of, let's be honest, we made fun of the Purdue three-headed yes, we defensive did. coordinator, just pretty much like everybody else on the planet did. It has been an amazing move by Jeff Brom. It, yeah. The defense looks way better. Um, before the game, uh, once I got my predictions out, if I would have gotten them out on Friday like I, I typically do, I probably would have had even more interactions with Iowa fans before. But I, I had the audacity to to uh, say that uh, uh, Purdue would score 20 points in this game. But I had Iowa winning yep. the game, but Purdue covering. And I got a lot of DMs from Iowa fans. I got some Iowa fans out on Twitter like, you really think they're going to score 20 points on this defense? They haven't scored more than 13 their last three games. And I just kept saying the same thing. Right, but Jeff Brom hasn't been calling the offensive plays Versus this defense, we did talk about it on the last last podcast where I said it's almost like Jeff Brown in this Purdue offense has just the one secret code that Phil Parker can't bust yeah. where the, the tenants of the Phil Parker defense at Iowa are to stop the run and force you to throw. That's exactly what Purdue wants to do. Yeah, they're and like, they you don't need to stop us running the ball. We're not going to try to run the ball. They're almost like, thank you. Take, yeah, now we have an excuse. The, there you go. We're, you take the pressure off of us, sir. Now I can do exactly what I want to do, which is just chuck it over. I mean, 
you might as well, Jeff Brown in this game, might as well have just said, hey, Phil, hey, Iowa, we're running the ball here. We know you're going to stop it. We don't care. We'll see you on second down. And yeah. that's what. And, and so I did you see my tweet, by the way, that I put out during the game? Can't remember. Okay. I tweeted a GIF or a GIF, whatever the hell it is, of Superman with kryptonite. And I said, this is Purdue to Iowa. Bingo. I don't know what it is, what they've got something figured out. Like you said, a cheat code they have where it's like all the rules are out the window. Yep. It's bizarre world. Every time Purdue and Iowa gets it together to the world. tune of Aiden O'Connell, 30 of 40, 375 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. And of course, going to be a precursor. I, I, I uh, or foreshadow I think we might have our weekly Eisman uh, winner here. Yeah, I think we may only list one player. Because <laughs> there honestly wasn't a ton of other stats to pick from here. David Bell, my God, 11 catches, 240 yards, one touchdown. In the postgame presser, Jeff Brom was asked, you know, what, what his thoughts are. And he basically said, I don't know. They just kept leaving David Bell in single coverage. And we kept going to him, like almost giggling. It, it's it's love love my Hawkeyes overall love the staff obviously love what Phil Parker does ninety five percent of the time this is the five percent that doesn't fit which is they get stubborn and they say this is what we do they left their guy out in coverage partly because they could not get pressure on the quarterback yeah, so I felt like that the, was a problem the only way they could get pressure on the quarterback was by bringing people which obviously leaves less amount of people in the back end in coverage every time the throw needed to be there because the throw needs to be there too it was right in stride Aiden O'Connell was just in a zone he he was and that brings me to another point I want to make about Purdue another thing that I didn't have a lot of confidence in this year was their offensive line and they played fantastic yesterday Absolutely. I mean, again, they're not they're not doing a great job run blocking, but, you know, it doesn't matter. That's not part of what they do. They're doing what they need to do to move the ball down the field. You know, there was a corner in this uh, Iowa uh, cornerback in this game, uh, number eight, that had a very rough day. I don't want to say his name, but honest to God, I feel like Iowa could roll out Des King, Merton Hanks and Niall Kinnick as their cornerbacks. Did Kinnick play corner as well? I don't know. I was just making a joke. Damn. Point being. it just doesn't matter. It does not matter. When David Bell is out there and Jeff Brom is calling the plays versus the Hawkeye defense, it's... Like I said, it's kryptonite. It's this craziest thing. That is that is my explanation for how they play. It's kryptonite. And I, and I think it's helped me get over it. Like, honestly... So I don't, you know, I don't know how many people listening to this remembered. I'm going to brag myself up. Kurt remembers. But I called Purdue beating Ohio State. Yeah. Three, uh, 2018, 18, right? It was yeah. our first year Correct. doing the podcast. Yep. And that was one of the things I was most frustrated with myself is I didn't call it, that I didn't oh, see this yeah. coming. Like how much proof right. do idiot Iowa fans like me need to understand this has, there's something here. Just, right. So I wonder next year, regardless of how the teams look up to that point, if Purdue's just going to be favored. M- perhaps favored, and I know who I'm picking. That's going to happen. There's going to be a theme with that on another uh, team or uh, matchup here that we're going to talk about. Uh, by the way, Spencer Peacher, 17 of 32, 195 yards, zero touchdowns, four picks. I mean, it was ugly. Yeah, it was getting they were getting desperate at the end of the game, so a couple of those were garbage, yeah. but, but he did not play well. No. Uh, the Iowa offense, so I'm not, a, I'm not a big fire the offensive coordinator every single time things go wrong. Right. Brian Ferentz, because I will say that name out loud because okay. he's a paid adult. Sure. Brian Ferentz needs to get his head out of his ass. That's just all there is to it. Or get fired. Something like that. Okay. Like, you 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 cannot expect your defense and special teams to play good 13, 14 times a year. And I just do not think that Iowa or any team can win a Big Ten championship, let alone a national championship, having an offense that's that poor. I'm not saying yeah. they need they have I to agree. be top 20 top 20, but they need to be in the 40s or 50s and they damn sure be able to to better be able to run the ball better. Now I will say Tyler Goodson 68 yards had a 5.7 yard average. It wasn't like there was nothing there for him in the rushing attack and I understand they got behind in the game, but part of the reason they were down in the game 
is because they're not putting points on the board. Yeah. First play of the game, 40-yard pass, nothing, no points. They right. get nothing out of it at home. And by the way, there never, has got like never and, went back. So to, I'm not I'm I'm not saying fire the entire offensive staff and throw them out the door. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying heat should be applied to Brian Ferentz and the offensive coaches. Heat should be applied to the offensive line and the coaches. It needs to look better. They need the idle week that's coming up. All of those things can be true at once. It is it. But you can share those feelings without sounding like a boorish a-hole, which is mostly what I've been hearing from okay. Hawkeye Twitter in the That's last, fair. you know, 20 hours or so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I got that out there the right way. But. So I got to say, you know, obviously they've been they've been living off turnovers. They weren't getting them this game. But that that fumble into the end zone, that was could have been such a game changer right there. I thought, oh, my gosh, that is it. That's what's going to spark this comeback, and they're still going to win this game. But – Purdue buckled down, man. They did not let it happen. I had the same thoughts. I'm sure a lot of Iowa fans and people watching it, like this was the the catalyst. But, I mean, there just never was a time that you had confidence that Iowa's offense was going to come out of it. Absolutely. Now, And and I do want to say, again, this is kind of the theme that we're talking about here, is like, A, we've seen this before, Iowa, Purdue. Another thing, this was the inevitable letdown game. Sure. After the Penn State victory, even Iowa players had said, and I can't remember if it was right after the Penn State game or it might have been the Monday or Tuesday, uh, you know, when the players are available to the press. They admit there was a couple Iowa players that said, we're getting, you know, we're a little tired. Like this is, you know, this is, has been a emotional, you know, pressure cooker type of thing. When you, when you're, Mentally tired, when things avalanched against you at the beginning of the game, you suddenly look slower in the game. Uh, moves that you typically have confidence in ha- having aren't there. It is just incredible the roller coaster up one week down to the other, heck, up one quarter or half down to the other that can happen with these college football teams. I feel like Iowa fans are lacking a lot of perspective here and they need to chill out. A little bit, but sure. that's, I, I don't want to sound holier than thou, like I'm above it all, but like there's very few teams that can go undefeated during an entire college football. Not many, not many. <laughs> and like there were too many people, even non-Iowa fans that were like, well, Iowa's going to go 12 and 0. And it's like, we had yet to even play a big 10 West opponent yet. So like everything was getting too far out in front of the ski tips. Iowa wasn't as good as Iowa fans thought they were going into this game. I was not as bad as national pundits are making yeah. them out to be no. after this of course. game. Is that fair to say? So I'm watching the game with a, with a mutual Hawkeye buddy of ours. And, of course, you know, he's lamenting their performance the whole game. The game's finally over. He's like, boy, we really stunk today. I'm like, yeah, Illinois didn't play today, but I feel like I still watched Illinois today. Right. A little bit. Yeah. Well, that stings. Uh, with the win, Purdue moves to 4-2, and 2-1. Two, two and one. In the Big Ten, with the loss, Iowa drops to six and one, three and one in the Big Ten again. If you would have walked up to most Iowa fans back in August and said, "Going into your idle week, Iowa would be six and one, <laughs> ranked in the top twelve, and the only three and one team in the Big Ten West," who does not take that deal? Right there? Literally, one hundred percent of Hawkeye fans take. So that. I just can't. I just can't completely remove myself from that. Maybe I'm an eternal optimist. I don't know. The Eyes on Big podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel aging technique creates characteristics from the individual barrels that are blended together to make an exceptional whiskey. Perfect sip, neat, or in your favorite bourbon cocktail, Amador is the perfect go-to this fall on game day. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California, and as always, hashtag ask for Amador. Next game up, Wisconsin 20, Army 14, the Badgers with 310 yards of total offense to the Black Knights, 266. We talked a little bit before this game about how we were pretty excited to watch this style of game. I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't quite as much fun as I thought no, it would be. No, no, it, it really didn't live up to those expectations. In fact, 
I'm I'm searching for some positives here. Okay, I will say in the first half, Wisconsin realized, look, we've got to we've got to throw the ball. This, that's how we're going to move the ball on these guys, and they were. They were actually looked like they had a serviceable passing offense, and even when they weren't completing it, they were getting PIs, so they were moving the ball down the field. I I thought that was a good positive. Braylon Allen having a big game was another positive. I this offensive scheme from Army in the first half. What 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 would you say you do here? The offensive coordinator uh, did they run anything but a belly dive the, the entire I mean, first the, half? Obviously, so obviously the thought process with that is they're going to weaken up. The I, middles, I know it, but, but uh, run it forty times and never and never pull the ball, and they didn't attempt a single pass in the first half. I get it. There, it's not, but you got to do it once. I hear you. Or t- I mean, I was frustrated watching this game. It got frustrating. Um, I tell you what, so the, a question that you had is, Wisconsin in the good years is obviously a rush-heavy type of offense, but they typically you know, pair it up with a timely passing attack. Well, going into this game, that's not what we have. I mean, really, for the last year or so, Wisconsin has been rush only on the passing yep. attack. So, like, what would it look like when Wisconsin would play a service academy type of game? Well, basically, they looked the same. I mean, Wisconsin with 112 yards passing, Army with 87. Yep. Wisconsin with 198 yards passing or rushing to Army's 179. So basically Wisconsin was just like Army, but 20% better. And because of that, they pretty, won by six points. Pretty much. And then they really stopped passing the ball in the second half because they just wanted to bleed out the clock. Right. And then guess who started throwing the ball? Army. Army and did. Who, who did it with success? Army. Army. Yeah. Uh, how about this? The the time of possession, not perfectly balanced, but pretty, pretty close. close. I mean, 30 and 47 seconds to 29 and 13 seconds. Like, I just find it hilarious how similar these stats look for these two teams because there was a little bit of Spider-Man memeing going on here with these two teams. Um, uh, But shout out to Braylon Allen, the converted running back to linebacker to safety, back to running back, whatever. 16 carries, 108 yards, and a touchdown. Chelewi, 16 carries, 66 yards. I mean, the Badgers, 4.6-yard average against a defense uh, that knows how to defend the run because that's essentially that's what they're looking at and practice every day. Jake Ferguson definitely was the best receiver for Wisconsin. No interceptions for Graham Mertz, and that played huge in this game because him turning the ball over could have been the biggest difference sure. in this game. Um, but you just kind of felt like the Madtown crowd was just kind of lulled to sleep. Like oh, yeah. they just were like, uh, you know, they're they just, just wanted to go party. <laughs> When is and, this game going to be over? And it, and it did get over quick. Man, it, that oh game was boy, did it ever! By. And by the way, speaking of turnovers, Leo Chanel, that that huge fumble got him down to the one yard line to score that last touch, and I kind of put the game out of reach at that point. I mean, yeah, you said twenty percent better. It was twenty to fourteen, but it was, they were probably a little bit better a little bit better than, than, than that. twenty. To 14, I, mean, I, I was I more think. talking about the yeah. stats. By the way, when Wisconsin knocked that fumble out, scored the touchdown, that put them up twenty to seven. Yep. Why do you not go for two there? They kicked the PAT. Now, I'm saying this from so a... So it was 19, per- then it became 20. Right. So, so they missed yeah. the PAT earlier in the game. There wasn't enough time to for field goals to be kicked. Army was obviously going to go for touchdowns. That's a good point. You're right. So there was a chance here that Wisconsin could have lost this game 21-20. to 20. You're right. Now, I'm mostly frustrated about that because I had Wisconsin negative 14, and mm. they could have at least been a push. Yep, now, yep. I didn't wind up playing, and even though Army scored again, like it wasn't going to cover either way, but you go for two there. It made you, you kind of do because it was no only sense. It was, the announcer said it too, so I wasn't two alone. minutes left. I yeah. mean, it's not like there was 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, it was two minutes. You that was the right That's thing. That's what I'm saying. There wasn't enough time for field right. goals and stuff like that. It was just touchdowns only in that game, but yeah, anything else? I mean, I guess somebody forgot to wake up Chris to make that decision. Yes. During the game. Yes. He also just wanted to go home and, and uh, get something done. All right. With the win, Wisconsin moves to 500 as well. They are 3-3 three and three and remain 1-2 and two in Big Ten play. And with that under 39 easily, 
I hit my double barrel lock, uh, Amador double barrel lock of the week. So I'm up to five and two. So you, you, that's right. You did the double barrel on the under, under. 39. Yeah. Good, good job. Way I to mean, go. I hit it, man. I hit that under two. And the funny thing is with that late barrage of scoring, it got to 34. I know. <laughs> One more touchdown puts that thing. Under, I know. Cause so. what was it? Uh, it was 13 to seven deep in the game, right? Deep into the game. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is. I, I wish I could give uh, two a shout out. I wish I could give a shout out to this. There's a, a new statistician that I follow on Twitter, and he's got data. He's got computers, you know, that pump out what he thinks the score of the game is going to oh, be. You got to let me know who that I, is. I'll show it to you. I'll okay. find it. He had the final score of this game: Wisconsin 14, Army seven. It was 13 to seven. Wow, deep into the game. Yeah. So his computer. I was mean, doing with like work. It, until like 40 seconds left, I think is when pretty Army much scored. Army scored. Yeah. So, all right, uh, then this is our Big Ten game of the week: Minnesota 30, Nebraska 23. The Gophers with 396 yards. Of total offense to the Huskers, three hundred and seventy-seven. I mean, this wound up being the, the best game of the week. This was de- so we picked it as the game of the week. Good job on our part. It was the best game of the week. I'm gonna say never again. I'm never betting against PJ Fleck, especially when he's coaching against Scott Frost. That was my other. I already alluded to it earlier in the podcast. Shame on me. And when you look, when you look at it. The feeling you and I both had, because we both made, we can both Ab- own up to this, right? Absolutely. Like, what I hate, what people don't do, is when they just don't admit when they're wrong. I was wrong. You were wrong. Absolutely. We're both saying it. Two years in a row now, we've both been wrong, because it, it didn't look like Minnesota had any business winning that game down in Lincoln last year, and we thought Nebraska had the momentum going into this game I loved this year. the way they looked. Okay. And I didn't like... It wasn't just the way that Minnesota was playing because they just beat Purdue. Had more to do with like losing Trey Potts again. Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh! What what the heck? Just like but but PJ Fleck circles the wagons like nobody else. He's a good wagon wagon circler. He really is. Yeah, get on and, the boat, and, get on the wagon too. And it doesn't seem maybe to they're be... taking the wagon to the dock before they get onto the boat. <laughs> that could be it. But it doesn't seem like something that Frost does well. And shame on me because I saw I saw these two kind of just pointing in different directions. The Huskers up, the Gophers down. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter when these two get together. It is throw the records out the window because it just seems like PJ is going to win the game. Um, we could probably get into this now just because we're alluding to it that much. There's going to be a lot of raised eyebrows in Lincoln, maybe inside the athletic complex. Well, they weren't ready to play. Okay, so two things we're going at. Let me kind of spit both of these out. Uh, P.J. Fleck, after the game, said this was talent versus culture. He went back to the culture word three times. We've known about some bad blood between these two. Right. I mean, that was staffs. definitely directed at Scott Frost. So not even a question in your mind. And and at first I was kind of, I, I at first I did not like it. I'm, at face value, I didn't like what he said. But you know, behind the scenes, he's telling his team, I don't think you're less skilled than them. I'm just going to say this because I'm sticking it to Scott Frost. And I think it's a recruiting thing. I mean, obviously, these two programs butt up against each other a little bit with recruits. I mean, Scott Frost has come into Minnesota and snagged a few guys, so he's trying to send a message that way. There was a long, and I'm just going to say awkward hug and conversation between P.J. Fleck and Adrian Martinez I wonder how, after the game. I wonder if Adrian Martinez wanted to be close to P.J. Fleck for that long. Uh, another thing that's gotten a lot of, you know, media and press attention, whatever you want to say was, um, uh, Nebraska cornerback, Cam Taylor, Cam Taylor Britt. Uh, he basically said when we woke up Saturday, I felt like we weren't ready to go now. Okay. I, I think he should be smarter about letting that comment out. Yes. One of when I'm weighing these things in my head, okay, one of the things that had me think to myself that I shouldn't pick Nebraska to cover or win the game was that it was an 11 o'clock a.m. kickoff on the road. Yeah. Uh, They have been playing a lot of night games, a lot of games that they've been up for. Like, I don't know, just like this game did not fit into 
the big game type of deal. Like yeah. they needed to kind of get themselves back. Even up though it was when, the eyes on big game of the week, broken bits of broken chair trophy, which goes to Minnesota. But you see what I'm getting at here, right? Like, no, I do. The, and I do think that played. If you think Cam Taylor Britt is the only one that's ever woke up as a leader on the team and looked around and been like, these dudes aren't dialed in. That happens oh, yeah. all the time. I think it happened in Iowa City. I do think you just flat out don't say it, though, because sure. that is going to now look poorly upon your head coach like he, quote-unquote, didn't get his team up to play. Sure. By the way, another thing that would point to Scott Frost not getting his team up to play in road games, he, he only has three true road victories, and we're almost through four, year four. Period? Period. Wow. Three road victories. That's betting against Scott Frost when he travels with his football team is I'm a good remember that. That's one to write down. So so speaking of not showing up to the game, I don't know if it's them not showing up or Tanner Morgan showing up like the 2019 Tanner Morgan. My goodness. First half, he was on fire on fire. I put a tweet out that said he for at his halftime stats, he had more completions than any full game up to that point wow. this year and only one other game Ohio State he had more yards for the complete game he was unconscious and then his final stats in the day 20 of 24 209 yards two touchdowns two picks he only had two balls that touched that, that didn't that hit the ground wow. that's Otherwise, and that was what he was doing in 2019 although he wasn't throwing the interceptions not, not as many but but so he threw that in, that uh, touchdown I'm sorry to Chris Ottman Bell in the corner of the end zone, which is a great catch by CAB. And I tweeted, this is vintage 2019 Tanner Morgan. And at the same time, Ryan Burns tweeted, that's the best throw he's made since 2019. It was all there for everybody to see. Chris Ottman Bell, 11 catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. How about Bryce Williams, third, fourth, fifth running back? I tell you, that guy, as a freshman, I really liked him, and then he's disappeared for a couple years. That guy looks fantastic. He right looked now. good. 17 carries, 127 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I'm gonna I mean, I'm gonna go a couple deeper here. So I mentioned Chris Upman Bell, Michael Brown Stevens, another great great yep. game. Brevin Span Ford, he had a touchdown. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, you did have a touchdown in the game. I'm calling those guys the men with three names. The men, <laughs> yeah, the men with three names did show up. I, you know, Bucko Irving too. I know his stats didn't pop out, but you can see the talent there. And this is this is a, a a culture thing, a program thing. When you're that deep into the well, it it, it it reflects well on recruiting. Yeah, that you've got that many just dudes there that can carry the and ball. And Kai Thomas too was looking pretty Kai good. Kai Thomas looked fine. Um, they held the ball 38 minutes to Nebraska's uh, 22 minutes. There's another one, dude. I don't know what to say other than. This wound up being a one-score game. It's going to be another stat that gets thrown out there. Even Nebraska fans were kind of like making fun of themselves, like, oh, good, late score, just so we can say that we've lost another one-score game. But, I mean, this was essentially a 30-14 to 14 type of game. I, I mean, mean, I guess it was, but they were given opportunities to still be in this game, and they were terrible in the red zone when they had their opportunities. And I just, I'm sorry. I don't care what your offense is. If it's fourth and goal from the one-inch line and you are not under center running a quarterback sneak, you're not trying. And you're, okay, we don't – well, that's not our offense. We don't practice that. Start practicing it. Run it a few At times. At least every, goal line. Yes. Every team should have to run a goal line set where you got 1,500 tight ends and offensive linemen in the game and you're going for it. Uh, to, I mean, why would you hand it to a guy five yards deep when you could hand it to a guy that's a half yard deep? And a uh, freshman, Yant kind of tripped and lost his feet. Yeah. Like, it just, I know. Um, speaking of Adrian Martinez, 18 of 33, 241 yards passing, a touchdown, no picks, right? That's Adrian Martinez. Eight carries for negative 17 yards. Now, the rumor that I tend to believe was that Adrian Martinez was dinged up going into this game. I've heard okay. thigh, I've heard ankle, I've heard a lot of things. I think Minnesota's defensive staff sniffed this out either during the week okay. or right at the game. Maybe I think they warm-ups. realized that he was not a, a rushing threat. And because of that, 
I think it's fair to say that the Nebraska offense sputtered a little bit. They've been typically getting more than 377 yards. With that being said, Ramir Johnson, 11 carries, 83 yards, two touchdowns before he got walloped at the goal line and went out. I think he was pretty dingy. Also, shout out to tight end Austin Allen yeah. as well. Five catches, 121 yards, a touchdown. The penalties weren't bad. Three penalties for no. 25 yards. Were there bad officiating calls in this game? Yes, but I do not think that it was enough. Both Nebraska did not lose this game no, I because of, of, of the officials. No, I don't think so. Both teams... Uh, had three penalties for 25 right. yards. I mean, yeah. it was about as even as can be. I think Nebraska also going into a week where they're idle, they need an idle week as well. I would recommend literally getting away from football. Yes, I think for so. Like, three, like, I think that would be like a, a good move by, by Scott Frost and like taking some time off to heal up, still get your treatment and all that stuff. But like, I don't know. They they need a little bit of an exhale here. And hasn't it seemed like we've said that before about this football program on this bit. podcast? A couple times. Before. Maybe. I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, with the win, Minnesota moves to 4-2, and 2-1 two, two and one in the Big Ten. They are the only team in the Big Ten West that right now controls their own destiny. Wow. The only team in the Big Ten West. That's a good point. They did. We talked. That's right. We talked about before. If it just wasn't for that loss to Bowling Green, how much different this team and the. Oh my just, gosh! Can you imagine? I mean, they'd be five and one, two and one in the Big Ten with their only loss being to Ohio State. I, I hate to bring up the the bad stuff, Gopher fans, but I kind of bring it up in a positive side. Like, and they have done a good job of letting it go. Again, these college football teams and these kids change that much from week to week. This is a team that. Lost to Bowling Green. It's crazy. They're, they're in control of their own and destiny. I didn't see the final, but Bowling Green was getting stomped by Northern Illinois yesterday. It's just crazy how much Which these... is a bad team, by the way. Northern's not I mean, a good team. Minnesota could do nothing offensively in that game. Now look at them. It was amazing. Now look at them. A guy gets healthy here, a tweak in the offense there. It's incredible what can happen sometimes. With the loss, Nebraska falls to 3-5. and five. One and four in the Big Ten, I put a tweet out that they, in in order to get to a bowl game in Scott Frost's fourth year, yep. they have got to go three and one versus the following teams. Suddenly red hot Purdue, Ohio State, at Wisconsin, and Iowa. Three and one. No less than three wins to get to six and six. I mean, right now I see at best a toss-up at best, two and two. I would That's say. That's the best scenario. I mean, the best scenario is four and oh. I mean, they can go four and zero. Boy, it's just hard to envision. But it's though. hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine they go three and one or four and zero. Two and two does seem <sighs> like the most likely, and then they I mean, miss a bowl. Purdue, it just looks so formidable right now. I mean that. Yeah, I, my my funny take on Purdue is, but haven't we seen this Purdue? Yeah, before? we kind of have. I know. So so doesn't it seem like Jeff Brom is going to wind find a Brom way? Like Brom, why did I do that? Doesn't it feel like Jeff Brom? Is going you to just wind lost up to the Purdue Boilermakers. <laughs> Jeff Brom is going to figure out a way to go six and six. Yes, keep his job. <laughs> yes, just enough to torture Iowa and Purdue fans almost equally. And then he'll recruit the next David Bell or Rondell Moore to come in as a freshman next year and torture the Big Ten for another three years. It has been written in stone. Yes, that's how it's going to go down. Speaking of written in stone, this week's eyes on Big Eisman winner is David Bell with eleven catches. For 240 yards and one big touchdown in that big victory against the Hawkeyes at Kinnick State. And I don't know what his actual total stats are. Um, actually, I take that back. I can it's find 550 it. 550-some receiving yards. Yeah, I here think. we go. I did write it down. Okay. Um, here's 2019 and 20. 13 catches, 197 yards, touchdown. 2020, 13 catches, 121 yards, three touchdowns last or yesterday. 11 catches, 240 yards, and a touchdown. So if I can do quick math here, that is 26. 37 catches over a three-game period. We're going to call it 550 yards of receiving five touchdowns over a three-game period. It's, it's absolutely amazing. incredible. I mean, I'm literally going to have nightmares of this kid for the rest of my life. You know, when you think about what a great game he had yesterday, he set the, the single game mark for receiving in Kinnick Stadium history. So you think, well, that's the best game he played against Iowa. But... It's probably not even as good as the last game he no. played against Iowa. No. I mean, and us evil Iowa fans, 
there's a video of tons of Iowa fans coming down to the field to congratulate him walking off the field like you're the man. I like as good as the Saquon Barkley performance was a couple years ago. This is right up there. Go and go figure. Christian McCaffrey to bring up even more scars and pains for Iowa fans. It's like Iowa's defense just does a fantastic job against everybody unless you have that one yeah. quintessential that one player. special player. And yeah. that's that's the elixir for the defense. It really is. Just yeah. kind of is. All right. I'm Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.